Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. This is the Entree Architect Podcast, Episode 79. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Your career in architecture is what you make it. Your success, your failures, whether you grow or stay small, each decision you make will lead to your destination. Choosing to be a leader sometimes adds complication to our lives. Finding the time to build an architecture firm and raise a family and taking the responsibility to lead others with a mission to make this world or our little part of this world a better place for everyone else living in this world takes courage. Leadership is a choice. This week on the Entree Architect podcast, I have a great conversation with one architect who has chosen to lead. This week, I've invited my friend Jess Stafford of Big Time Small Firm join me to talk about leadership in the profession of architecture. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is brought to you by Entree Architect Hybrid Proposal. Learn how to prepare a custom owner architect agreement for architectural services for your small firm. Visit entrearchitect.com slash hybrid. 
My friend Jess Stafford's on the line with me today. Jess, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Mark. Welcome to the Entree Architect podcast. Uh, you are the president of Modus Operandi Design. You're working from the from the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, uh, Western North Carolina. Uh, you're the current president of AIA Asheville, and um, and you are the founder of the uh, of the online platform that uh, is called Big Time Small Firm. One of my favorite online brands of all time. I love that. <laughs> that big time small firm is just rolls off the tongue. It says what it is. It's a great, it's a great brand. Um, so I'd love to talk to you about uh, both, both what you're doing at AIA Asheville, as well as uh, what's going on over at big time small firm. But before we get into that, like I do on every episode, I'd like to talk about your origin story. I'd like you to go way back, want you to, to share with us when you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect. Uh, and to share your journey to where you are today. All right. Well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the the architecture discovery happened pretty early in in my uh, development. As a young kid, I was I think it was when I was playing with Lincoln Logs was my first real, um, you know, spark came off when I took the the thing and dumped them out and and I looked at the pictures and uh, I went off on the project of building the Lincoln's, you know, cabin, the one little like cover on, on the instructions that came in the little bin full of uh, Lincoln logs. So there was something really cool to me then about taking something that was a two dimensional idea and <clears throat> turning it into a three dimensional reality, you know, and, and after I did that, I, you know, the cabin sat on, on the floor in my bedroom for, I don't know how many days. And, um, I would kind of look at it and the way that the light shined in there and, and get down, you know, at a, at a eyeball level that, you know, a person would be if, if it were true to scale and just kind of look through the different views and really tried to get inside the space, you know, with, with the um, model that was obviously impossible, but I thought, you know, how cool would it be to do something like this at full size? And that sort of rolled into a couple of projects that I helped my father do. Uh, you know, he was an engineer, so he was, you know, into working drawings and um, he's more of in a sales role now, but when th this was all happening, he would draft out things like a picnic table and I would help him build it, you know, and, um, we did the same thing with a dollhouse where, you know, he would sit down and do these uh, real rough working drawings of, of those projects and come up with a materials list. And we'd be off to the, you know, local hardware store to get the materials and come back and get the tools out and build the thing. How old were you when you did that? This is between uh, the Lincoln Logs at about seven and then the picnic table and the... Uh, the doghouse were a little bit later, I think around 10, maybe 11 years old. Yeah. But through those two experiences, I really remember just starting to develop a real keen interest and attention to just the perception of, of space and how stuff was built in space. You know, I would love going downtown where in, in Memphis, Tennessee, where I'm from, uh, you know, where all the big buildings were in our area and just walk around down there and to, 
just watch how things lined up, you know, when you come around a corner and the facades of the buildings are sort of on a setback. And, and if you stand in one place, you know, you can kind of see where that setback is down the street. And then if you just move one, one or two feet to either direction, how that plane, you know, you're, you're in and out of that plane and how that, that sort of perception of space also works in a colonnade. You know, you can, you can see it in, in an elevation view and, and it sort of looks like a picture, but once you begin to interact and, and sort of walk in between those, those columns, it was just real, always really interesting to me how, you know, all of the building elements that architects and engineers use and, and placed on, you know, a Cartesian grid, uh, interact with, with your eyes, you know, and <clears throat> that's, that kind of stuff always just really, uh, made made a good big impression on me when when did you realize that that was all something called architecture well um that was that was also pretty early um i sometimes wonder how much my parents and grandparents sort of steered me in in the the career direction because they you know would show me stuff about frank lloyd wright's projects and my grandfather um uh, and grandmother built a new home uh, in a Memphis suburb when I was growing up, and he did a lot of the working drawings for that. So he actually had, you know, a drawing table and and some T squares and things like that. That when I grew up enough to where I could reach that kind of stuff from sitting on a drafting stool, I guess I was in my you know early teen years then. I started uh, I started you know actually drawing with it, and it was just really neat. Uh, to to see all of that happen and my mother um, was friends with uh, an architect in in Memphis who actually took her and I on a tour of their office and um, you know any any time that they were published in the local paper there the commercial appeal uh, she would make sure and show me and it was just neat to you know to see the work that somebody that was a friend of hers that had taken the time to take her and I through, uh, their office, you know, and, and talk to me about what it is, what the profession of architecture is, was, you know, doing around town. So I would, yeah, I would say that it was, uh, it was before junior high when I understood what architecture was. It was, it was close on the heels of building that doghouse and that picnic table. Yeah, you know, it was predestined. Early. It sounds like, <laughs> I guess so. I, Sometimes I wish it was predestined to be in construction because I think that's my most favorite part of any architecture project is, you know, when, when the dirt gets stirred up and cranes start flying stuff onto a site and things really start coming together. So how did you, how did you end up, if you were uh, raised in Memphis, how did you end up in, uh, in Western North Carolina? Well, um, raised in Memphis, went to school at Mississippi State University, uh, returned to Memphis after uh, graduating for the school, from the School of Architecture there and uh, worked uh, in firms, uh, various firms around town in Memphis and uh, really got a good good experience and you know a little bit of a spectrum between small firms and some that were m more larger. Um, the firm for which I was working right before my wife Anne-Marie and I moved was a big E little A firm uh, based out of York, Pennsylvania, and uh, all told, I think they had around uh, somewhere between 400 and 500 employees total. 
at the time, and I was in their Memphis office, which was uh, a, a long-standing, you know, mainstay of theirs, where we had about uh, 35 people employed, and uh, I was one of three to four architects in that office. Um, so we were living in a little house uh, in a place uh, in old East Memphis is what I call it. Um, that was, uh, you know, like a 1930s house that was just drafty and very small. So we were looking to, you know, upsize and, and buy a new place. So we started looking around in, in Memphis, right around Memphis in the greater Memphis area and, um, did a job search here, uh, in, in Asheville where both, you know, we had done two fall season vacations in a row and really just fell in love with Western North Carolina, you know, the culture, the outdoors, the, the scenery, the people, the activities. It's I mean, a beautiful region, especially in the fall. It really is. And, you know, it, it's beautiful all year round in, in my eyes. And yeah. there's just so much to do. And it's a very, it's a kind of a healthy culture in, in contrast to the, you know, the barbecue eating beer swill in Memphis kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we, uh, there's plenty of beer swilling and barbecue having here, but there's also, you know, a bunch of outdoor stuff to do, but I digress. We, we did a job search and both found, you know, good, good opportunities that were, you know, at least lateral or better, uh, than what we were doing in, in Memphis and, uh, both applied, both got good interviews at, you know, one of the places where we applied and uh offers so we just decided you know well we can either plan on retiring in this place that that we love you know western north carolina or we can uh we can go ahead and uproot and just relocate so that's what we ended up doing and it was um how long ago was that that was about seven years ago Mm -hmm. we moved over we rented a place in Asheville uh for a little over a year while we just got to know the area and uh, eventually found a place in um, Hendersonville, North Carolina, which we're actually one county south of, uh, of Asheville and Buncombe County here in Henderson County, which is where we ended up buying a place in a great neighborhood. It's uh, all the real estate agents love our neighborhood and it's apparently a very hot neighborhood right now. And homes here usually only stay on the market uh, a week or less when when they go up. And it's just it was built in the mid 80s and it was done very uh, nicely as far as, you know, land planning goes. There's plenty of trees left. It it wasn't clear cut. And uh, it's just the way it's situated, especially this time of year when the trees are lush with uh, leaves and the vegetation is thick. Um, you can barely see your neighbors, you know, even though they're just like a hundred yards to either side of you and everybody's just all kind of tucked in their own little mountain wooded environment here. Yeah. Sounds beautiful. So did you get involved in AIA right away when you moved to, uh, to the area? I sure did. I, I made sure and, uh, you know, migrate my membership from Memphis. I was involved in AIA in Memphis. Uh, and going all the way back uh, to AIS, AIAS uh, membership at the uh, School of Architecture at Mississippi State. So uh, it's something that I've always valued, you know, the, the camaraderie and, and networking and collegiality and, and educational opportunities that AIA offers. 
And you're the current president of AIA uh, Asheville, correct? That's right. And that's um, it's a three-year leadership commitment. Uh, it starts with being the president-elect uh, through the presidency and then the past presidency. So for those three years, uh, once you once you step into that role, that's how long you'll be on the board. And uh, on two of those, the president-elect and the president years, you're also by um, default on the North Carolina Architect AIA Architects Board too. So. Um, once you sign up, you're on both of those boards, and and there's an occasional uh, road trip to Raleigh for those board meetings. Yeah, the uh, the leadership in AIA is a great way to to meet a lot of other architects, to to uh, to network a little bit, and to and to obviously make a, a you know make an impression and 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 improve the profession. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's. Um, there's a lot of people that seems like they're sort of sitting on the sidelines, taking sh- shots at at the profession, at and at the organization, and you know the whole relevancy discussion. And yeah. um, I, I've gotten past being frustrated and getting tired of seeing those blog posts and those writings. And you know, it feels good to to be in the middle of it and to have the opportunity to uh, you know to change the organization from within. And I think just over the past few years, um, starting very strongly at, at not this past convention, but last year when we were all in Chicago, um, I really feel and see that the organization as a whole is paying a lot more attention to small firms and realize that, that we're a big uh, driver for not only the economy, but their membership and, and the profession as a yeah, whole. Yeah, absolutely. I saw it trans, the transition starting in Chicago as well. And this, this year, it was very much a focus. I think small firms and business. Last year, the word business and, and the focus of business was not as strong as I had hoped it would be. But clearly this year, uh, business has become a, a priority to, uh, to AIA National. Um, they're, they're talking about it, they're doing uh, events on it, and even the, the, um, one of the, the keynotes, the final keynote at AIA in Atlanta at the convention was all about business. Uh, and so they're certainly focused on, on, on business and small firms. So the reason I wanted to bring you onto the show, uh, Jess, is, is because of your leadership position at AIA Asheville, because AIA Asheville is is a relatively, although Asheville is a city, um, the region is a relatively rural region, um, and your chapter, your section, which is I believe a section of North of AIA North Carolina, is a relatively spread out section, and I hear many many um, conversations going on about how chapters are not supporting the members, and that when you are in a rural region that it's difficult to reach your members and for the members to be active. So um, I know that your chapter is relatively uh, active and it's successful and that you are reaching your members. And so I wanted to talk about uh, how you're doing that. What are some of the things that you're doing to, to, to reach out to those, those members and, and to get them active? All right, sure. Well, if you can imagine a map, of, of North Carolina. Asheville is tucked into the Appalachian uh, Mountains on the western part of the state. Um, so 
our AIA section covers those western counties that are in that sort of pie piece that uh, that wedges in to the geography where the Tennessee state line is. Um, we don't have the county that where um, Appalachian State is up in Boone, but the next door county to that uh, is where our section starts and jig jags all the way down to the uh, North Carolina, South Carolina border. And yeah, I feel very fortunate to be in in a in an active section of the AIA. I mean, AIA Asheville goes goes back a pretty long ways. I mean, just from the history of the AIA, and Richard Morris Hunt is one of the founding members of the organization nationally, was working on the Biltmore Mansion in Asheville when when all of that started. You know, he was part of that group of the original meeting of New York architects that really saw that, you know, there was a need for uh, us as architects to differentiate, you know, what we do uh, through, you know, some sort of institutional organizational structure, you know, so that not everyone could run around saying that they were an architect. If, you know, back then before the AIA was founded, if, if a, you know, a plumber or a mason or, uh, you know, anybody that worked on this kind of stuff drew the plans for it. They could basically say they were the architect. Well, the AIA came about and then there was a little bit more definition and, uh, you know, introduction of regulations about how uh, you could you could regulate that term and the education that it took to become one. So that, you know, that kind of pedigree goes goes back um, and and made it for Ash, you know, for Asheville to have some strong roots in the organization. The core of our membership are Asheville architects. Um, because of our mountain setting and a lot of people retiring here in the area and having second homes here, there's a, a strong contingent of custom residential architects as well. Um, the members who do participate in our section from the outlying counties come from counties that are adjacent to Buncombe and, uh, and Henderson County. Uh, we don't get a whole lot uh, in the outlying areas. There's just simply not a lot of architects there. It's, it's mostly mountain forest land. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the architects are sort of centered around the urban core of Asheville and, and spread out and, you know, only spread far enough to where they can come to Asheville for, uh, for an event every now and then, one of our lunch and learns, um, one of our section meetings, which we do ours on, on a monthly uh, basis at the end of the month, uh, with a couple of exceptions, one for the Christmas holidays and one for the summer vacation season. Um, and, every, you know, every one of those, uh, we have anywhere from three to five, maybe six or seven at the most, members who live outside of the greater Asheville area, which is, you know, it's really good to see that. On the other hand, um, if they did want to stay put where they practiced and still take advantage of what AI Asheville and AI North Carolina offer, we've just recently started a program called OWLS, um, online uh, wide area learning service. I can't, I think that's what it stands for. Uh, learning sessions, maybe, um, but that's a North Carolina, an AI North Carolina initiative, where they bring in the same companies and same vendors that come to do our lunch and learns in person, 
and might do, you know, box lunches in some of the larger firms around town, will do an online webinar uh, about their product and, well, not their product, but right. about yep. the services that, you know, that they offer and, uh, you know, how with the AI regulations, you can't do a CEU and make it a, a sales pitch at the right. same time. Right, a tip, typical CEU <clears throat> lunch and learn, but they do it, instead of coming to your office, they do it. They do it online, digitally. They do it online, and it's it's a uh, free thing if you sign up for it when it's happening, and there's a, a small fee for non-members if they want to take advantage of that. Um, and there's also, uh, they're building the, you know, resource library of all those sessions over the ones that they've started over these past year and, and a few months here um, that you can go back and watch. Um, and I think when you do go back, there is a small fee. Uh, to do that too, like, you know, seven, ten bucks or something like that. Um, we have been working on doing that same sort of uh, recording our our sessions, our section meetings, um, and f trying to figure out how we can get those out on YouTube. Of course, using the, the sort of uh, cobbled together audiovisual uh, equipment that, that we have available, there's been challenges to that. Um, but I think by the end of this year that we will have uh, put together a, a system that, you know, didn't really set us back any major money that you can spend on on cameras and microphones and somebody to sit there and, and produce all of that stuff um, to where we'll have um, the slideshows that the presenters at our section meetings uh, come present online with their voice in, in the uh, background and mix that together with some webcam images of the people who were standing at the podium talking as well as, you know, the question and answer sessions that follow those presentations in a YouTube video that people could come if they're not able to be there and watch and, uh, you know, get their continuing education credit for it. Um, and that seems to be the main member service you know that that we're providing that people want to take advantage of and and to ha have their ai membership you know uh return for them and the online services are just going to make it that much more valuable for those who uh you know it would be a good chunk out of their day if they did pack up and drive into Asheville for those things We're going to take a quick break here to talk about Entree Architect Hybrid Proposal. Since launching my small firm, Five Cat Studio, back in 1999, we've experimented with many different legal documents and we've worked with and have tested just about every possible fee structure there is. The Hybrid Proposal is a document that works great for our firm and the way we do business. In the Entree Architect Hybrid Proposal video course, I'll take you through the entire hybrid proposal package step-by-step step, and show you how to create your own custom document, an agreement between owner and architect that will work best for you and your firm. What I love most about this document is how it's both the proposal and the agreement between owner and architect. It's two documents in one, the hybrid proposal. The hybrid proposal for architectural services describes the proposed project the scope of work, compensation, and all the required legal terms and conditions. It completely eliminates the time-consuming step between the proposal letter and the formal legal agreement process. This document provides both in one package, and its super client-friendly graphics and easy-to-understand language 
keeps our prospects feeling in control without the need for a long drawn out attorney review. When we use the proposal package, we sign more projects and we make more money. To learn more about the Entree Architect hybrid proposal, visit entrearchitect.com slash hybrid, H-Y-B-R-I-D, entrearchitect.com slash hybrid. Other than continuing education, of course, you've got plenty of social opportunities where we have events, uh, lecture series. Our CRAN chapter is is taken off and, and really developed and come into its own as a very strong uh, group, uh, Custom Residential Architects Network. Um, they're, they're doing their own lecture series. Our, uh, our COPE uh, Committee on the Environment group has put together a, um, a great event in uh, November that'll be a full day of continuing education opportunities at a new facility we have here uh, called the Collider, and it's it's all about uh, you know earth science and climate change. We we have a huge federal building here that has a uh, a NOAA um, office in it. So there's a whole lot of climate scientists running around here in, in Nashville, and they're building on that experience and offering a full day of of continuing education opportunities. That's coming a great up. idea. Yeah. So, so it sounds uh, like you're. Go ahead. I was just saying that's another thing that, you know, attracts people to go ahead and, and pack up and come into Asheville for those kinds of events. Yeah. So it sounds like you're serving your membership uh, very well. It, it, the um, AIA National last year, I believe it was last year, that they launched their repositioning uh, initiative and they've they've continued growing that uh, nationally. This recent this this most recent convention they launched uh, the i look up campaign which actually was launched before the before the convention they actually announced the second phase of the i look up uh, advertising campaign at, at aia national convention um which if, if anybody hasn't seen the second phase of it i highly recommend that you go to uh, uh i look up i think i look up.org will actually get you there but if you go to aia Dot org and link over to iLookup in case it's not the iLookup.org uh, and go check out phase two. It's an online campaign uh, of a, starting with a video, but it's um, it's uh, I think it's very effective. Um, and uh, after the first one, there was quite a bit of criticism and, and, and many people kind of suggesting that it should be more online and less on television. And that's exactly what phase two is. And so, um, so, is there anything locally, Jess, that you're doing to uh, to contribute to the to the repositioning locally in your local section? <clears throat> yeah, the way that that's um, sort of filtering down uh, through the, the you know AIA is a tripartite organization where you have AIA National, you have the state uh, chapters, and then there are. Uh, components or local sections, which AIA Asheville is is one of, um, the state's just divided up into different geographical areas that cover uh, you know a number of counties that can sustain a uh, a decent level of you know membership numbers. Uh, Charlotte being one, uh, AIA Winston Salem, or, or AIA North Carolina Winston Salem, Piedmont, uh, Eastern, and Wilmington. Are the other ones? Um, oh, and there's Triangle too to get Raleigh and Durham and and that 
that urban center there. So, um, like I said, we all meet in Raleigh as a state board uh, on a on a periodic basis, and um, last Thursday was a special meeting about this uh, effort, and uh, we had a guy named Jay Younger from the McKinley Advisory Group in Washington, D.C., come down, and, and Jay has been the facilitator of this repositioning effort all the way from national through a number of different states, um, all, you know, and he's been going around and he's going to continue to be going around through the rest of this year while all of us develop what's called a member services agreement. And um, that's what AIA National has, uh, you know, mandated that we do now because there's um, there's a certain number of budget dollars that get um, handed down from contract document sales and uh, other revenue sharing programs uh, that make it onto our state budgets and therefore get filtered down to local chapters. So in, in order to make sure that, you know, they're not just throwing money into the wind, they've put together a framework of core member services that each uh, state chapter has to offer and we're going to put together a North Carolina member services agreement that outlines those, which I'll just flip through them real quick and, and give you the headlines. Uh, the first one is member communications. Um, there's education, which is the continuing education and, uh, you know, just that we have to provide uh, at least the minimum amount that's required so that if an architect went to each uh, you know, session that they would have enough to get their license and renew their membership. There's advocation. Uh, we, we advocate for the profession and, and do a lot of legislative efforts with uh, local uh, governing bodies, local legislators, as well as state. Um, and then uh, if you're involved with AI leadership, you've heard of AIA grassroots, which is where the national uh, leadership of AIA comes together in Washington and, and, you know, they lobby and they do a lot of leadership building skills and sessions, uh, continuing education and just learn how to run an AIA chapter better. Uh, that There's some changes in that. Um, part of grassroots is going to be actually be in Detroit this year, but I won't get into the details there. That's, you know, it's just part of the evolution of the organization is why I mentioned it. So advocation is the third area of, of member services. Uh, elevating public awareness, you know, what's what's our contribution to the I Look Up campaign. Uh, governance, which, you know, now we're getting into some of the sort of behind the scenes um, nuts and bolts operation of, of the AIA that all members might not really be exposed to. Um, membership, you know, we have the, uh, the brain drain going on with some of our um, older demographics phasing out uh, you know, going into retirement and, and we have to really actively recruit members to, uh, to keep our numbers up as that, that progression happens and that attrition goes on. Uh, and then the last area is, is finances and op general operations. So, you know, that's about um, sections that are staffed, uh, managing their employees, uh, filing the correct tax forms, which through this whole resurface uh, repositioning effort, you know, there there have been some discoveries that there's a lot of chapters that have <laughs> haven't been doing proper uh, tax filings for you know the 
what they do and the the salaries that they've paid. So that's that kind of stuff's getting straightened up. But um, the meeting last Thursday was, you know, all of the leaders or most of the leaders from all over the state got together and we just really backed away from the nitty gritty business that we take care of at those meetings usually and looked at, you know, what, what are our strengths and weaknesses as a, as a state chapter and um, what are we going to plow into this, our, our member services agreement and eventually uh, we hope to maintain, you know, our, uh, our autonomous uh, voting block uh, of AIA delegations, which the way that we're organized now is we have some caucusing and, and conferences to decide how to vote on uh, resolutions and candidates for AIA national leadership. And our president holds all the delegates for North Carolina in, in his one vote. And <clears throat> what that does is it makes North Carolina the fourth largest voting block in the whole, uh, you know, the national structure, uh, right there behind big, big uh, sections like North uh, New York and uh, Atlanta, and uh, I think um, AIA Colorado is up there. But that's, um, you know, just looking at really closely at how we uh, how we organize ourselves to provide to provide the. Uh, the finer points under those seven, you know, headline member services is what we've begun to do and how, you know, how we're going to do that is to write up this agreement. And the, uh, the current presidents of all of the North Carolina session sections will sign on to that agreement. And, uh, you know, that'll be our, uh, roadmap to move forward. Right. So your, your marching orders as you bring it back to Asheville and, and, uh, and continue your leadership locally. That's right. So, um, so you're not only a leader in AIA, you're also a leader in the profession. You're the founder of uh, uh, the online platform, Big Time Small Firm. And so uh, before we, we wrap up, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, kind of give people an update on Big Time Small Firm. Uh, for people who don't know what Big Time Small Firm is, can you talk about a little bit about what your, what your plan uh, is for big time small firm and what your your current status is with it sure um big time small firm is is in a state of flux right now um it it actually spun off of your entre architect chats which we used to do on twitter um, right the twitter chats yep been a couple of years ago um so i think it was on wednesday nights uh you would get on twitter and we would use the hashtag entre architect chats and you would have um, you know, four or five questions, how many we could get through in, in an hour or so. And um, it was a good tight uh, group of, of people and, and saw some really good participation, you know, through that effort. And um, <clears throat> one of those subject, uh, one of the subjects that we did was just small firm management. And that um, night, uh, you know, there were several people on that chat talking about how, you know, we need, we need a, we need a community, you know, we need some way to come together and, and discuss issues and, and problems that are specific to small firm practitioners. And, um, you know, I went to bed and thought about it now, um, parallel to this, I'm, you know, get my firm into as much social media as I can to use it, you know, as a, a learning tool and a, a promotional tool and Google Plus was 
just coming out of the gates. This is um, sort of Google's, you know, social media platform. Their their answer to Facebook. Um, if you're not on on Google Plus, I'd strongly recommend you know going to test those waters because it's, I think it's a great uh, platform for you know really rich engagement with a, a very creative uh, cut of, of people online, uh, architects, photographers, designers, uh, small business people, and and a ton of very talented uh, social media marketing people that you know really know how all of that stuff works, SEO and what have you. But I woke up the next morning and uh, thought, you know what, I think that's the perfect platform to start um, what those people were asking for. So I thought up the name Big Time Small Firm. I signed up for a, a Google Plus community there. And since then, um, we've accumulated about uh, over 200 members um, not all of which are active in the online community there. Um, starting up the, uh, the community, I did <clears throat> what's called a Google Plus Hangout, which is a, a video conference. You can have up to 10 people and you can share your computer screen and talk about all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and it's just a very easy way to, uh, to do a web conference that also automatically feeds onto the YouTube channel that you have connected to your Google Plus uh, profile. All of that is done automatically on Google servers. So I'm, I've tailed off on, on the Hangout um, uh, regularity. I was doing those every other week. Um, interestingly enough, uh, your new uh, platform, or it's hardly new anymore. It's, yeah, it's been, coming you know, up on a year old. Yeah, yep, Entra Architect Academy uh, started up, and uh, as a paid platform, you know, to to bring architects together, as well as uh, the Business of Architecture spinoff, the Architects Marketing Group that Anik Sears is is doing with uh, a couple of his partners. Um, I saw a marked, uh, you know, decrease in 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 big time small firm hangout participation when both of those came up, and I think it's just a good example of you know, a, a free type of service versus a paid service and, and the uh, caliber of participation that you get, you know, when somebody's got a vested interest in, in a group like that, that then that's going to be, you know, where they go and probably get a little more value out of it. So we still have the online community that, uh, that gets posts daily. People are still signing up for it. We have some good discussions on there. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when, when people run into issues with clients or consultants and, and they want to get feedback, it's a good place to go. Uh, just tell a little story. And, um, you know, within the same day you post that stuff, there's going to be at least three or four people that give you a response based on their experience. And, uh, you know, the more people respond, uh, the more that triggers, uh, you know, more participation on those discussions. And, uh, you know, I've seen some things that people post get up to 15 or 20 responses from people and, and just discussions start, you know, everything from uh, insurance and, and, you know, legal matters to what kind of software do you use for this or, you know, I'm using this particular software and I'm having this kind of issue. and. And people are always quick to chime in with, you know, and help with whatever their experience is. So right now, that's that's what it is. It's just the online 
uh, conversations going on, and I'm I'm trying to uh, really look at what you and and what Enoch and his partners are doing, and find a niche somewhere in there to keep the big time small firm brand uh, evolving, and and figure out what that niche is. So anybody that's listening to this podcast that has an idea about what they would uh, what value that they might get uh, from my efforts at Big Time Small Firm. I'd love to bring that to you. So put it into the podcast comments here or go on over to Big Time Small Firm on Google Plus and, and let me know. Yeah, if they wanted to leave a comment on this session, you can go to entrearchitect.com slash episode 79. Uh, and if they wanted to go over to Big Time Small Firm, the Google community, how, how do they do that? They just go to um, the Google Plus uh, communities and search for big time small firm and it'll come up it's that easy um if you have a gmail uh email account you already have a google plus profile um obviously it won't be populated with your pictures or you know any information about you and where you work and all of that good stuff um so if you're already using gmail uh you can go to google plus and uh you know please add uh a profile picture at least and something about you working as an architect, because when people ask to join the community, if if I can't look at, look at that stuff and tell that they're an architect, I, I will uh, decline their their ask. Because um, from the beginning, I've really been uh, pretty uh, adamant about keeping it exclusive to architects, you know, so that we can feel comfortable discussing, you know, the the finer points of our business without. Uh, the inhibitions that, you know, a, a potential client or clients or consultants might be uh, looking in on that stuff. So it's a it's a private community. So it's a free private community for small firm architects who can go in and post what they want to post and ask whatever questions they have, request uh, assistance on something, maybe even find some help with some uh, some work that they're doing that, you know, you can collaborate with some other architects in other parts of the country. Um, that I've done that. Uh, I've done that a couple of times. Uh, I've I've asked for collaboration and actually provided collaboration with uh, no less than three of the members, and have actually done some one-on-one sort of uh, you know advising or mentoring to some of the younger big-time small firm members all over the world. I mean, I've I've chatted with uh, a young architect in India who's you know, working with, uh, working with another firm who's going out to start his own thing. And he hits me up on, on, you know, hangouts every now and then when our time zones, uh, actually line up and, and we'll talk about his efforts doing that and he'll show me stuff and get my feedback on it. So it's, you know, it's, it's there for, there for anybody to use like that. So I would, uh, recommend all you small firm architects out there, go check out big time, small firm on Google plus, uh, just drop a line and say uh, say hello to Jess and the community over there, and uh, and post something. Also on YouTube, Jess mentioned that all of the past sessions of the Google Hangouts are all on YouTube. They're there for you to to review and and uh, and check out the conversations that that had been going on. Um, and if you have any suggestions on uh, on what big time small firm can do to support the profession and support small firms. Uh, leave comments at both the the, uh, the show notes as well as on, on the Big Time Small Firm community. Jess, thank you very, very much for uh, being part of this episode today. I appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge. 
Well, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to share all of that with people. It's um, you know, it's all stuff that I'm proud to be involved with, along with running my firm here. And uh, I like uh, like the opportunity for people to be able to learn about it. So I appreciate it, Mark. Yeah. Well, th and thank you for your dedication to the profession. You know, because there there it's very easy to uh, just fall back and stay focused on your own business and try to stay successful there, but to uh, to to layer on leadership at the AIA national level, and then an additional layer of leadership nationally on your own platform. Uh, I commend you on, on that, and I and I appreciate you for doing that. Well, you're welcome, and you know that that looks like a daunting volunteer effort from from the outside. But the more I do it, the more I realize it's really a two way road, and I get get a lot of uh, you know gratification from from that and stuff like big time small firm as well. And maybe we'll see a uh, a big time small firm Twitter chat maybe in the future. You know, maybe that that's uh, because if you if you like that, you know that that space is open. There's no uh, there's no big chats happening out there. That's true. Good suggestion. If anybody wants to see what the Entree Architect chats were all about, you can actually go to Twitter and go to the search bar at the top and and just type in uh, hashtag Entree Architect chat. And you'll see uh, see those chats on on uh, on what we were doing there. And so you know, if if that's something that people are interested in, let let us know that. Uh, maybe that's uh, maybe uh, maybe that'll happen. So Jess, thank you very much for uh, spending your time with us. And uh, all right, everybody, have a great day and a good week. If you like what I'm doing here at the Entree Architect podcast, please go to iTunes and leave me a review because this is how you may help me spread the word about Entree Architect and our mission to become an influential force in this profession. And it's the only way that other architects are going to find the Entree Architect podcast. I have two new reviews this week, uh, one from the UK and one from Qatar. The first one is from Claire Nash from the UK, and she says, brilliant five stars. I love this. I have my own architecture practice and I find Mark's advice is always in tune with what's going on with my firm. Thank you, Claire. I appreciate that. And the second one is from Hani Gozlan from Qatar. Uh, great podcast, five stars. He says, I like this kind of podcast, number 77 and number seven. And I like the three simple steps to success. You're inspiring us with your ideas, your performance and your voice. I hope all the success for you, Hani Gozlan, Senior Architect. Thank you, Hani. I appreciate that very much. I appreciate your, your kind words. And everybody who leaves reviews at Entree Architect, uh, you can go to entrearchitect.com slash iTunes and leave me a review. Or in iTunes, you can just search for Entrepreneur Architect and you'll find us and you'll be able to leave a review. And that way, others will be able to find us. Uh, show notes and a direct link to download this episode may be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 79. And before we go, this week's quote of the week is a little bit different. I'm, I'm mixing things up here. I'm actually going to read a section from my favorite book, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. He actually talks about a story um, about Tom Watson, the founder of IBM. And uh, he quotes something that Tom Watson said, and it's a little long, but I want to read it here for you because I think it's inspiring. Tom Watson says, IBM is what it is today for three special reasons. The first reason is that at the very beginning, I 
had a very clear picture of what the company would look like when it was finally done. You might say, I had a model in my mind of what it would look like when the dream, my vision, was in place. The second reason was that once I had that picture, I then asked myself how a company which looked like that would have to act. I then created a picture of how IBM would act when it was finally done. The third reason IBM has been so successful was that once I had a picture of how IBM would look when the dream was in place and how such a company would have to act, I then realized that unless we began to act that way from the very beginning, we would never get there. In other words, I realized that for IBM to become a great company, it would have to act like a great company long before it ever became one. From the very outset, IBM was fashioned after the template of my vision, and each and every day we attempted to model the company after that template. At the end of each day, we asked ourselves how well we did, discovered the disparity between where we were and where we had committed ourselves to be. And at the start of the following day, we set out to make up the difference. Every day at IBM was a day devoted to business development, not doing business. We didn't do business at IBM. We built one. That's Tom Watson, founder of IBM. We didn't do business at IBM. We built one. My name is Mark Arlepage, and I'm an entrepreneur architect. I'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Go get The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. I highly recommend it to anybody running a business, especially every small firm architect. Go check it out. It'll be on the show notes of this episode at entrearchitect.com slash episode 79. Until next week, have a great one. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, 
us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.